This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Me and Elliot here for another podcast. How you doing, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. Just got back from Sandhills in Nebraska, and that was certainly an adventure. Were you following the um, Instagram stories? Yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> I did a bunch of them. I know. I was uh, I was uh, very proud of you. <laughs> it's a, a big step for Elliot. Well, uh, the, one of the reasons why I may have done that is I was listening. I was working out the day. I was listening to one of our old podcasts in which you were encouraging me to use um, <laughs> Instagram stories. And <laughs> so embarrassing on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. And you're like, well, let's do it now. And I'm like, okay. And I start Instagram live. <laughs> Just like, no, that's not what he was talking about. And I'm like, yeah, it's with four guys are in, five guys are in. And it's like, no, we just had this long conversation about Instagram stories. And I said I was going to do it. And to show you, I started Instagram live. <laughs> do you remember that? That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. You never yeah, called I me out. I definitely remember you not knowing how to do it <laughs> yeah. from the get-go. <laughs> so, man, I was posting tons of stories on this deal and it was quite the adventure i'll say that. yeah it was good did you see the flooded tent part of it yeah oh that, man uh, sleeping bags and everything get wet everything oh man it was terrible thanks thankfully um matt from hyper sportsman sportsman was there to kind of help us out we were taking an afternoon nap we had had a decent fishing morning um well actually Historically, for the Sandhills, we're catching pike and bass, but um, we caught so we caught a few fish. Um, not as good as what I would like, but we definitely caught enough to eat and everything. And um, it was a great time. And cleaned them and had lunch and everything. It was supposed to rain. So like, well, we'll just go into our tent, have a little nap and everything, which is what we normally do. We fish um, from sunrise till about eleven thirty. Come back, have lunch, take about a two-hour nap, and then if we want to go out fishing again, we do. If not, we just kind of hang around the campsite and and whatever but this storm rolled in and we were in this tent that aiden gave me and it was huge massive massive tent and um i've got to go away from the massive tents because this is like the second or third one i've had now and they do not hold up well in the, in the wind <laughs> so this huge storm rolls in and the wind is blowing like crazy i wake up and half of the tent is like falling in and rain's coming just straight down from the ceiling and this tent is sectioned off into two rooms, so we pulled all our stuff in the other room, which was still dry. And literally by the time it was all said and done, there was like two inches of water in one side of the tent, and it was getting pretty wet in the other side too. And Man. we had to get out and dig a trench to kind of drain the water out, and it, <laughs> it was a disaster. We had to go into a town. The closest town is Valentine, Nebraska, and went to a laundromat. And so it was quite the adventure, but it, it was fun. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some of those fish you caught too. So those are some uh nice pike, right? 
Yeah, great, great pike. Um, I see the biggest one was 34 inches. We caught three or four pike over 30 inches, um, which I'm not, I'm guessing those are somewhere around six to seven half pound pike, um, which is about the biggest that we've we've caught out there is about seven, seven and a half. And those, those are big pike and you catch them yeah, on a regular. Yeah, big fish. Yeah, and um, so we didn't catch a ton of fish. In fact, I only caught two in both days. And Nevin, my son and I both didn't do very well. We caught two each, um, but we had plenty of bites um, and we're just kind of having issues landing them. Um, but everyone else caught about five to seven to eight on the trip. But so we weren't catching a bunch in the two days, but the fish we were catching, I think there was two or three bass caught over four pounds, um, three or four pike over 30 inches. So the fish we were catching were really, really good fish. Wow. So, yeah. That sounds great. It's just so beautiful out there. I don't know if the um, photos and the videos that are putting out there showed it, but it's the most, it's just such a peaceful relaxing it's like the population out there it's just not, not hardly anyone that lives out there because the sand hills are immense and you can't really farm them and most of them are like national parks it's just so the population density is really really small in fact i've got big duck hunting plans in my mind for the future out there uh, but in and there's ducks up there which we don't have ducks in kansas right now there's mallards and teal i had a very little pothole and it's just a gorgeous peaceful relaxing place it's just wonderful wonderful environment Awesome. Sounds like a great way to spend an off-season weekend for sure. Yeah, and we were wearing hoodies. You know, like in Kansas right now, we're not wearing hoodies. And that's a 10-hour drive. You get up there, and I'm sure that's not true. It was a little cooler at the time, but, you know, 55 at night, and you get up and you're fishing, and it's low 60s, and you're wearing, you can wear a hoodie. And, you know, mid to late June, you're wearing a hoodie. That's special. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's the way I like it too. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was a great great trip really really fun when we're i think we're gonna go back up there next year as well um we've been up there in my lifetime we've probably been up there 10 to 15 times total combination of fishing and grouse and and uh, prairie chicken hunting and and uh, but i think the next time i go at some point i'm gonna go up there and really hit the duck hunting up there because lots of potholes and and um, i think i think you could do well um waterfowl hunting up there and, and yeah. like I said, the population density is so small and it's so beautiful. I mean, you've seen some of um, Matt's videos, High Prairie Sportsman, and he's not that far up, but his videos in the Sand Hills, it's just so pretty. I, I'm I'm going to duck on it. It's going to happen. Yeah. Awesome. I think, I think uh, yeah, like you said, watching his videos, that's definitely someplace. In the future, I'd like to hit up as well. It's just uh, not very many people, so there's not as much fight for the, the locations, and he seems to do pretty well early season out there yeah. as well. Yeah, he does. And the lake, actually, that we were staying on, you can only hunt some of the lakes up there and some you can't, but the lake we were actually camping on, you can duck hunt, and it's a big lake. I mean, you could just hang out there and, and try to – duck hunt that lake and there's some smaller lakes around and it's it's the prairie pothole region so there's all sorts of little tiny ditches and and holes um, really and stuff so it's done. it's same as like the dakota's prairie mm -hmm. pothole type stuff uh, i haven't been up there but it is part of the prairie pothole uh, region for sure you go, okay you're driving and you see all sorts of just little tiny potholes of water and oh there's a couple teal and and uh, there's mallards and and uh so I don't, know, I don't know why my dog's barking, but man, smacker. She had <laughs> another seizure your, while I was gone as dog. well. Oh, wow. So that's her third one now. Be quiet. That's her third one now in the last month. So mm. I, don't know, I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, that's no fun. No, not at all. 
don't know really what to do about that. Yeah. So did I you out pigeon hunting again? I thought I saw you out. I, I saw your Instagram story, but I didn't. I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't hear it. I just saw it. It looked like you were out pigeon hunting again. Yeah, I went out and, and well, I say pigeon hunting. So there's uh, this farm I go to. If you pigeon hunt, like, it's not really even hunting. You're just shooting pigeons. Let's mm-hmm. just call it pigeon shooting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you just go out and sit somewhere. And Well, anyways, this place I, I was at, the birds all want to go up into the silo. So it's like trying to shoot decoying ducks that are decoying two stories above you. So <laughs> Maybe you uh, sit up in the silo. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. I'm, I'm just saying it's not worth doing it that way. I was trying it that way. I shot one. Um, but, yeah, it's better if you can get them somewhere where they're not trying to fly into a silo <laughs> yeah how'd chief do uh he did pretty good i mean it's just one and w- then we worked with that one did some drills but uh we're on to doing some blinds right now um and the last couple of days we've been doing 85 yard blinds nice so that's a that's a pretty good distance for him um that's pretty much the whole length of my yard from the road all the way to the back of my property <laughs> great yeah so can't go any further than that, but that's kind of where we're at. Still trucking along. He's doing good. I wouldn't say he's uh he's definitely improving. Yeah. Getting way better. So awesome. we need to stick with it all the way through season. So um you think we're about ready to bring Phil on here? Yeah. Yeah. You wanna do kind of like a mini introduction before we roll right into the podcast? Yeah, and I hope that I'm pronouncing the last name right. It's Phil Conkey, and he is um, a waterfowl photographer, avid hunter photographer. And if you if you don't follow him on, on Instagram, you certainly should. Phil Conkey, K-A-H-N-K-E. And, um, man, he, his photos are awesome. He gets right close up on waterfowl. He's got not just waterfowl photography. He does landscapes and stuff. But he's an amazing photographer, avid waterfowl hunter. And he also is the communication content and communication manager for bandred which is attached with avery and ghg and i and we'll talk to him more about that because i'm not exactly sure i know the bandit avery and ghg are essentially owned by the same ownership group i believe um i think that's how it works so he works with them and we're actually excited to announce today that they are the newest partner on the duck gun podcast and also my youtube channel freelance duck hunting so jordan and i are both really excited about that um, we're going to have a partnership with them. So we're going to be running some um, spots um, for them and just really excited. to. Talk. I don't know about you, but um, I, I obviously I'd known of Banded and Avery and JG. I didn't know they were all one and I didn't realize the quality of um, the Banded gear. Once I got into the catalog and, and really started looking, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really high quality stuff, which I had never even bought anything from banded did did you have a little better understanding of their equipment than i did um yeah and, and i'm definitely a you know newer to waterfowl scene than you are but i've you know seen their stuff it's it's everywhere um everybody loves it so it's just uh i would say one of the biggest names in waterfowl so it's awesome to um be partnered with those guys for sure yeah well i knew they were a huge name and i thought really highly of them and i thought really high of avery and we had had some um, greenhead gear decoys that we really, really loved. Um, but uh, so I guess I actually knew a little bit more of Avery product and GHG than I did banded. So anyway, yeah, we're really excited to have them as a partner and really excited to talk to Phil. Um, so um, before we bring him on, don't forget um, if you want to um, 
if you want to to join hmm, I have to edit this out sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just totally I'm totally lost it's all right I'm not yeah. editing any of this out it's gonna be awesome yeah you're gonna edit it out I'm gonna smack you in your poison ivy ridden nards <laughs> No, so if I'm you, definitely not getting edited out. <laughs> if you want, if you would like to communicate with Jordan and I and the rest of the Duck Gun Podcast community, you can come on over to Facebook to Fellowship of the Duck Guns. Also, make sure to check out Jordan and I on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Freelance Duck Hunting, and Jordan's is Duck Gun Chronicles. And Instagram, it's at Duck Gun Chronicles and at Freelance Duck Hunting. And don't forget to, um, on iTunes, leave us a review and tell us what you think of what we've got going on. So, um, we ready to bring him on? Yeah, and real quick, I want to say, um, we have been seeing more reviews from you guys, so really appreciate that. Um, just wanted to read the last one we got from Skeet Junkie, uh, and he says, best duck podcast available. Awesome info every time. Information down to earth, guys, that are just as passionate as I am about this lifestyle. So really appreciate that five-star review, written review. Awesome. So Good keep on. them coming, guys. Hey, is this our 100th episode? This one is number 99. Are you sure? Because if you look on on uh, iTunes, have you looked at their numbering? The last yeah, one so we put I up got some, 99. It's some of those that uh, I had to save as drafts where we had audio dif- uh, difficulties. So the way you have to do it when you upload it, which is this, this is probably too much information for the listeners, but you just you have to save it on there and post the whole thing again, at, like a new episode. So it's not the same episode. I can't like replace the audio. So we okay. have audio issues on two episodes that I fixed in the past. So this is 99. This is number 99, yeah. Okay. 100 episodes. I was thinking, that's a lot of time. We've yeah. been dedicated. We've spent a lot of time on this, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, bring them on in here. But first, a quick word from our partners. Gunner's American-made dog boxes come with a lifetime warranty and the market's only CPS crash test certification. The guys over at Gunner Kennels have conducted major stress tests to show just how strong they really are, like applying 4,000 pounds of force, dropping a 630-pound hammer from 8 feet, and shooting it with a 12-gauge shotgun at 7 paces with no bullet penetration. Engineered for your dog and built for your peace of mind. Gunner doesn't cut any corners. Nothing comes close to the G1. Go to GunnerKennels.com and use code DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now I've been using ShotCam for the last year and I can tell you right now it's a great tool for improving your shooting whether you're doing clays or live birds or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact. Make sure to check out shotcam.com and use discount code DUCKGUN at checkout for $40 off. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicle. Got my co-host, Elliot, Freelance Duck Hunting, Graybeard from Freelance Duck Hunting, alongside me. And our guest tonight is Phil Conkey, and he is the content communicator 
content and communications manager over at Bandit, Avery, and Greenhead Gear. And also, he is renowned for his um, skills in wildlife photography. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing great. You know, first thing, when we jump into this, we definitely want to hear a little bit about um, your waterfowl history and how you've got how you got into waterfowl hunting um, as you as you grew up. Oh man, it was. I almost don't remember a time when I didn't waterfowl hunt at some point. Um, it was, you know, of course, just like ninety nine percent of other people that got started duck hunting. I got got started ducking because of my dad. Um, he was pretty avid waterfowler at least until pheasant season opened which back in minnesota was kind of standard when there were pheasants there and uh, you know so not when i was younger like really young we would hunt that first three weekends and i thought i was as as died in the wool duck hunters you could get back then from hunting those you know six <laughs> days maybe seven if i got a day off of school and then, you know, as, as I got a little bit older, we, um, you know, we started to expand our hunting a little bit longer in the season. And it was just always that thing, even, and even with those, those few days of hunting each year, it was always that thing that I looked forward to, you know, partially because of how my dad built it up as a, as an event. It wasn't just, uh, simply going out to shoot ducks, but he liked to plan. He liked to have all these. He liked to make everything a big event. So it was this thing where we had sandwiches and we had hot chocolate, and we got decoys ready ahead of time. And we we studied uh, the wind direction and, and the spots we were going to hunt, and made everything into a really kind of an analytical, um, really like procedure in terms of how we were going to hunt. And I guess I've kind of transferred some of that to my hunting now, and it's what's made me I think it's probably what made me really love hunting because it wasn't just you know something that we just kind of went out and randomly did but we had a lot of other things involved in it so I think you know that's that's the the very intro and the first the first few years and from there you know I kind of took my own direction and things but I would imagine almost everybody has has had a fatherly influence at some level and I respect those who did it on their own because it's nearly impossible to get going on your own. And have have you lived in pretty much the same general area your whole life or have you uh, are you hunting the same grounds now you did as a child? No, no, no. Um so I I grew up in southern Minnesota, town of Wasika, which is kind of its own cool little little area. It's a very waterfowl hunting rich area a bunch of well-known uh, duck and goose callers have come from that town uh, and and that area as well and not just callers but hunters guys that have guided guys that have moved on to other things but stayed within the the waterfall world um, and so that was it was just it was kind of a prairie pothole type area a lot of smaller to mid-sized lakes that we hunted but it was, it was pretty well 
busy in terms of of traffic i mean anywhere hunting in minnesota is a busy place and i lived in minnesota until i was i think 30 about 30 years old and i had the chance to move to south dakota and the minute that i did it took me about took me about two phone calls to these to answer back yes i had to call a couple of buddies that lived in the area uh, where i live now and or that i knew they knew the area and when they told me it was good hunting i pretty much made the call back to my boss and said yep i'll take it and <laughs> got out here so that was uh that was, was that your biggest influence into into moving out there <laughs> oh without a doubt yeah, like I mean, I, I literally, like, I knew what the job kind of was going to be. I worked for Cabela's for a long time, back then, and I had, uh, I mean, that I, I had really no other influences besides that. I wanted it was a promotion, and it <laughs> was a promotion in the duck hunting world, as well, and my quality of duck hunting. So I, those two combined, it was kind of a no brainer for me. Awesome. So that area that you're that you're currently hunting, um, and you and I talked off air to kind of that probably shouldn't name the specific spots, but I certainly before we're done, I've been up there one time, and um, it was actually the first season that I was videoing, and the quality of these videos were terrible. But um, <laughs> so I, before before we get off, I I definitely want to pick your brain about how we were going about things up there. Um, but, and whether you were, whether we were on track or what mistakes we were making, there wasn't that many ducks and we scratched out a few, but we just missed the front by like a, a three or four days. Cause you know, when you have a trip, one of the worst part about taking hunting trips, when you have a nine to five job is you've got to put it on a calendar and yeah, you have you, to go when you can go. Yep. Mm-hmm. We literally missed the front by, I think might've just been two days. I mean, it hit right after we were there, but do you hunt is, are the majority of your hunts in your local areas? I know you travel quite a bit, but would you say the majority of your hunts are in that same spot area? Um, I, my hunts vary in terms of, uh, I'm trying to think of which it is latitude or longitude, but in the, my northerly, uh, jaunts, North South excursions depend on the time of the year. And what we have for for weather and water, but a typical season here, and the further north you go, the better it's going to be. Uh, we we tend to have less, a little bit less pressure as you go north, but also more grassland. So that that local that local hunting is better up north, like hunting local birds that were raised there. You're just going to have a better quantity of birds. Plus, there's more terrain. But then when you go, but as you start to move down the season the weather gets colder those birds will push slowly um, slowly but surely whether it's calendar induced or weather induced but those birds will start to push down and as the season gets gets on I can hunt closer to home and as season moves on past that I'm able to hunt um, some rivers and things that will stay open quite a bit longer into December even you know, which up here, I mean, there's people ice fishing at the same time I'm duck hunting in some spots. But, you know, like, I mean, this past, this most recent season, I was able to hunt a lot of days within 20 to 30 miles of my house, which on an average season, I I almost never hunt that close because I'm kind of in a duck, a duck desert uh, right exactly where I am. But, you know, 30 to 60 miles away from me in any direction I have, I have 
a better flight path. So I'm kind of right in the so, middle of a lot of stuff. So you kind of follow the migration and don't have any set set trips. You just kind of follow follow the weather. You know, we don't we don't really ever make amongst me and my friends. We don't ever make a real hard hard set rules. We have places that we want to hunt. Um, places that you know we say we need to get to this lake this year or this part of this river or we need to go to this state because we we saw the spot on our way to another duck trip or we went there at this time this year and it was good we have all that stuff in the back of our minds but like you said we're you know when i worked retail i had i had a little tiny bit of flexibility in terms of i could take off days of the week like weekdays monday tuesday wednesday thursday pretty well and one of my best hunting buddies is a pilot. Another one uh, runs his own business. And so they were fairly flexible. And we would just kind of wait to see what the weather was doing. And you know, maybe we thought, hey, you know, looks like we have some days days off that match up. Two weeks out from now, we should go to Missouri. Well, oh, shit, they got, you know, they froze up or they got a bunch of snow or it's been super warm there. It doesn't sound good. Okay, let's go somewhere else. So we, we vary that stuff as much as we possibly can. I mean, there's days where we know we're going hunting. I mean, I've got the boat hooked up, ready to go. But until 10 o'clock that night, we don't know where our final destination is. Hmm. Just in terms Sounds of... Sounds like a... You know, it, it helps a ton in, uh, in terms of what your, your productivity of your hunts. But it's a little nerve-wracking sometimes just because, you know, you don't you're driving somewhere thinking, God, are we going to get a hotel? Are we going to, you know, what's it going to be like for pressure? You don't know anything, what you're getting into. So it just, you want to pull your hair that out sounds sometimes, like a really, but it's fun. Sounds like a really exciting way to do it for sure. Yeah. And so I guess, um, I mean, that seems like a lot of knowledge to acquire too on duck hunting spots. Cause I'm thinking about, um, my local area and, you know, I got that, um, figured out, but it's like, if you're going to figure out your hunting spots over in Missouri and um, taking trips that way and you don't know where you're going to take your trip, how long did it take you to kind of acquire all that knowledge or how have you done it? Um, it's ongoing. <laughs> you know, we, it's, it's never ended. I mean, I, I feel like a beginner. There's a couple of friends of mine, one in particular I can think of, uh, Wayne Salem. I mean, I feel like a beginner compared to this guy. He's, he's maybe... 10 years older than me and maybe maybe not even that and i feel like that guy knows infinitely more than me in terms of these things but you know we kind of just we, we tend to stick to that central flyway uh Miss western mississippi flyway area and you know you hear you hear things i mean even some of the spots that we've learned about we've learned through videos and old old hunting videos um you know, you see things on YouTube, and you just and you start looking at Google Maps and Onyx, and you're looking at for any piece of water, and then you're looking for cattails, and you're looking for brush, and you're looking for things that could could flood up when the water's high. And so you're you're not only looking for public places, but you're looking at the places that have water variability, and then you got to watch the weather and all that kind of stuff. And you know. It, it sounds like a lot of work, but it's fun. I mean, I, I love watching all that stuff and keep an eye on it. And, you know, there's probably a group of six to six to 12 guys that throughout 
mid-November into January that I'm constantly in communication with, texting. Someone's saying, hey, you know, this, this area's got birds. I heard these guys are getting them. Hey, uh, water level is perfect here. You need to get down to this area. All that, all that kind of stuff that goes into it. And you build a little network. I mean, you can't, none of it is ever, when you're, when you're hunting six to 12 hours away from home, you know, you can't ever rely completely on, on your own research. You have to take some advice from people and, you know, and people are telling you and, and working with people. And then I do the same. I try to help people out if they want to come hunt around my area. I'll tell them things that I know as well. It's two way street. But yeah, it's an ongoing deal. I mean, I definitely know more. I mean, the last five years, I've learned more than I did the previous five years, that's for sure, just because I've ventured further. And as you, uh, you know, especially as technology increases, you have a lot more access to information, too. So, so we and should probably Instagram mention following has allowed me to to reach out to people in different areas, too. So that's helped a bunch. So. so you have your own podcast as well, and it's called uh, Shooting Time, right? Correct. I do. Yes, it's in a it's on a hiatus, but it it's in discussions to get going again. So, so I was listening to an episode about you guys did about um, boat blinds, and you were going through the various types of boat blinds and and giving them ratings between how much did they cost and how well did you hide and oh, and yeah. I know and kind of in your home turf where you hunt, the boat blinds are extremely important. Um, when you travel around, travel north, do you do you lay out boat hunt as well, or do you guys pretty much boat blind hunters? Um, we don't. Well, I would say for the most part, last year, you know, it, it totally depends on the time of year and the situation. You know, like early in the year, our birds are not on on big water uh, there are a lot of times not in places that you can get a big 18 foot hard side blind into so we're a lot of times using our like a little Karstens um, or a little 16 foot lightweight boat with a little smaller motor um, that type or even walking in so it, it all depends I mean, we're flexible obviously when once you have the comfort of hunting out of a nice blind that's what we want to do but yet you know i'd rather hunt out of my carsons and shoot 10 greenheads with a buddy than hunt out of my big boat and shoot two blue wings so we'll do that extra <laughs> the extra work and a little you know we'll, we'll switch it up as we need to but um for us like the layout hunting the deal there's not nearly the situations like where you guys have um, where you've got that low, really low cover. Yeah. Um, well, this year would be different because, I mean, some of our lakes have gone up. I, mean, I was fishing the other day, and some of our lakes have gone up five, five to six feet since springtime. So it'll be a different situation. But, you know, I, I've got I have a fleet of boats, it feels like. I've got four or five different duck boats, and <laughs> each, each one to fit a different situation. So... No, we'll take we'll take whatever we need to, but yeah, without a doubt, if we can take the big boat, I mean that's that's the one coming with. Yeah, well, um, the first time I heard your name was from the Average Waterfowlers, and the reason they brought you up, and they had a podcast, I think you know who those guys are, oh, yeah. um, is because I was having problems with my layout boat. So we weren't we were using raffia grass, 
And yep. you guys actually mentioned this problem on the podcast I listened to that the Rafia, it will get matted down. It's no longer three-dimensional. And um, we were struggling because with mallards, we were using these Rafia blankets that we were building and, and we weren't hidden enough and, and we weren't being able to get the mallards in. And I was talking to the guys about it and they said, you need to talk to Phil about what he does to go about um, brushing his layout blind. I actually had your number and meant to call you and never did. That was like three years ago. So I'm finally getting around to the conversation. Give me a little one on 101 about uh, your methodology for concealment in your layout boats. Like, what do you got? How, how do you go about grassing them? On my layout boats or just duck boats in general? Um, well, for me specifically layout, but if there's, if there's not a difference then it doesn't matter. Uh, but I would be more interested in the layout boat. I, th I think it, it can be similar. Um, and the, the deal is, is I think you just, so it, it obviously depends on the exact habitat that you're hunting. Um, you know, a lot of stuff that I've seen your photos, you're in super low mm -hmm. uh, smart weed. Yeah. And if I were to hunt that scenario, and we did this with my 18 foot hard side high low blind. We just took smart weed, threw it on top of my boat, covered it up, and shot ducks. You know, like you would never, I mean, it doesn't even make sense that it works, but it does because you just blend in enough. Um, whereas people around us were not shooting ducks because they just had their regular bolt blind there. Mm -hmm. But the. You can, you can use natural or uh, uh, like synthetic, artificial, um, like raffia type stuff as a base. But then, I, I mean, that, that extra 15 minutes that you spend with either a weed trimmer or pulling grass or a knife or whatever you want to use, that's the thing that makes the difference when you're, when you're eliminating corners, when you're eliminating sharp edges. And you're just looking like a piece of natural, natural structure. Even if you're a little bit higher, uh, that's that's the key. And and using shadows, because that, to me, like camouflage isn't specifically about the color that you're wearing or what you stick on your boat, but it's about how you use the wind and the sun and the things around you to hide. Um, you know, there's a lot of times that we'll use. A side wind or we'll use a, a bank or we'll use a, a tall patch of fragmites I mean it might only be you know a, a couple hundred fragmites jammed in one spot but if you can get your boat into that shadow that's better than any type of camouflage that you're gonna actually set right onto the boat itself because then I mean, you're you're using that Sun against them so it's you know, it's it's so it's so dependent upon the the exact scenario, and it might you might hunt the same spot day to day, but your wind direction, or where you hunted the day before, and the cover is all matted down. I mean, all that stuff matters so much. But you know, I like I like to get a little vertical, like three D depth into any bind, whether it's whether it's a layout boat, whether it's a a pop up um, sixteen foot boat blind, or whether it's my my big hard side blind. I like to have something. In there to add that depth, create some shad, create some, create some ways to break up the the form of the boat, um, hide your movement, 
hide any of those black holes that ducks are seeing when they're coming down in. I mean, all that kind of stuff goes hand in hand, and it's you know it's not just one specific thing, but it's it's such so critical. I mean, without a doubt, hiding I I have to say is the the most important thing that you can do in in terms of if you're on the right spot in terms of getting ducks in close. It's the most overlooked aspect for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, the area that I hunt that we brought up earlier, I'm not going to disclose <laughs> it. Uh, it's a pretty popular place to hunt boats like mine. I mean, like when you go, when I go there, my boat isn't really anything special. People see it on the internet. They think, Oh, the Kyle's thing is crazy, but it's nice inside. But like in terms of hiding, if you just stuck that boat in some of the places where I see other people stick their boats, they're not shooting ducks. Mm-hmm. These guys will take these 18 and 20 foot boats and they spend $10,000 to have a blind belt. And then they just think they can just, just park it somewhere and just shoot ducks. And in, you know, in the perfect scenario with brand new ducks that day and the sun is right and all that good stuff. Yeah. You can get by with it. But man, when you take that extra three minutes to, to, push your boat back into the cover a little bit so you're you have some backdrop behind you and then you go and break out a uh a hedge trimmer and you cut off some cover to kind of stick it on the front of the boat i mean the difference and anyone who's ever done it the difference in shooting ducks at 10 yards backpedaling versus 40 yards flaring i mean it's it's not even it's not even it's so obvious the difference that when you're hidden well in terms of how they finish versus what your success is going to be. And you can shoot a three man limit with three to four flocks of ducks versus, you know, needing 10 flocks of ducks. Yeah. So yeah. Concealment is, is so important. When I was in your area and that's the only time I've ever, I've been up there twice, once fishing and just kind of more scouting than fishing Mm -hmm. in the spring. And then a couple years later we went up to hunt. Um, I've seen a lot of boat blinds, especially, you know, you get places in Kansas like Cheyenne Bottoms. Guys love boat blinds in that area. But yep. it, where you're hunting, one benefit you guys have is a lot of that. Um, I don't I don't know what it, what kind of vegetation it is. It grows nice and tall there. It's that fragmite. Okay. And people it's in your area. Curse is what it is. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's true. The, the, the people in that area go to the extra mile for boat blinds. I, I was blown away by how impressive people, uh, most most of the people you saw putting on with the boat blinds, I mean, it's like you can't even see the boat. It's just yeah. a bush. Uh, yep. A lot more so than around here. And around here, you know, you get out to some, you know, these prairie marshes, you don't have that big a cover, and guys will do just what you say. They'll go out there with their boat blind, and they'll just stick up a little X blind or whatever. And it's got, you know, they've got some raffia and some real grass attached to it. It doesn't look real. And you're talking about, neat, you know, vegetation that's that comes up maybe to the bow of the boat at most. And, I mean, you, those guys are always shooting ducks at 35 to 40. And that's one reason we've never, um, we've always gone to the, we've got an 18-foot boat. Um, but we use it as a transport because, in, in those types of areas, we just don't see guys having the kind of success at 10 to 15 yards that we want. They're shooting ducks, but it's, you know, 35 to 40. Um, but yeah. when I went in your area, the blinds there were extremely impressive. And the fragmite, you're calling it, obviously makes it yeah. a lot easier that to helps. be able to hide those boats. And you know, and it depends too. I mean, we've had days 
where we've stuck that boat out in places where you would never ever believe that we'd shoot ducks with just just the boat and no backdrop and no tall cover but using um using that tumbleweed that we have on it it just looks like a big clump of grass mm -hmm. and if you can if you can hide those the holes the black the black holes you know the shooting holes if you can hide that you can hide the movement and you hide the dog you can get away with it in some spots. I mean, it isn't always. And there's times where we have ducks flare. Um, if you know, if we're not hidden well, and maybe it takes a lot more ducks to cycle through to get a limit. And then there's times where maybe you're hidden so well that I mean, you're done way before you'd ever think you are. You should be so. It, it's so. It's so dependent on on your habitat and what you're hunting. But yeah, without a doubt, I mean. If I were to just go hunt every day in a low, you know, a one foot of cover, I, I would, I'd have, I'd have a boat more like what you guys are hunting all the time, or I'd have a, I even made one, oh, a few years ago, I made a small, I took a 16 foot boat, and those uh, gator hide type boats, have you seen those? No, uh-uh. Where basically you sit on the bottom of the boat, you sit horizontal across the boat, on the bottom, like on your butt, with huh. your legs just straight out in front of you, and then you you have just a like a the metal comes up over the most of your body, and then you have a little. I I made a little piece where it kind of comes up over your head, so you're low. I mean, the you know it's you're only twenty inches off the bottom of the boat, but it's it's still something sitting there, and it's it's still a challenge to try to hide something like that. Whereas you know, those little whale boats, that usually that little mound, you know, you kind of look like a little clump is what you're trying to do, of course, I assume, and that's a lot more effective than that, so. It's what what kind of carts and People ask me a lot about blinds. So I have some YouTube videos out. I get asked a lot, and I'm like, you know, this is, I mean, some of this is a very specific thing, but, but I've taken that boat all over the place and shot ducks with it almost everywhere I've gone. So, you know, you just have, you know, sometimes you maybe you can't hunt exactly where you want to. And, you know, it's just one of those deals. What makes duck hunting fun is you kind of got to adapt to what's going on. Well, I know we want to talk to you about your photography, but before we move on, um, I'm dying to ask you, uh, get your opinions on how we were trying to hunt your area. So we don't have the boat blind, but we've got the big boat and we've got mm -hmm. the layout boats. Now, in that area, you've got big main pools and you've got little tiny pools kind of that are a little harder to get to kind of back off through the section. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what we were doing is we were putting our layout boats on the 18 footer kind of going past the big pools. And then when it got to be like ankle deep, we were taking the layout boats off and pulling them back to a lot of the, the, the smaller pools, which is really strange in that area is that all the pools seem to be just right about, at least when we were there about wader deep or a yeah. little bit more. You got like yep. ankle deep, then you get to the open water, and it's like wader deep, and yep. really interesting environment. Uh, but anyway, we were hunting those, trying to hunt those smaller back pools where the bigger boats can't get to. And my question to you is, um, do the ducks like those back, those little back pools? Well, we didn't. We shot probably on a, I think we hunted two or three days, and we probably shot seven, eight, nine ducks in those three days. So it wasn't very good action. But yeah. um, do you think that's a, a a good strategy we had, or are the bigger pools the way to go? Um, so 
I'll give, I think this can generalize a little bit without having to say exactly where we're hunting, but I think I can generalize a bit and say that when you're hunting that type of a deal, um, you know, it, essentially it's a refuge situation in which you're hunting because the birds sometimes are going to sit in exact places where you can hunt and sometimes they're just going to sit out on open water or back in a refuge area and you're just working on trafficking them. So you kind of got two, two ways to go about hunting those areas. And we, and we do it that exact way. We either A, try to get where we happen to kick up ducks. And a lot of times that's going to be some of those smaller pockets <clears throat> that we can get a boat into. Or we're going to hunt real close to th that pocket. Or maybe off of it just a little ways where we know those birds are coming. And we're going to traffic those birds but going to that area. Or you're hunting birds coming and going from their their roosting area to their feeding area. So for us, I mean, our, our majority of scouting um, <laughs> is done in the evenings as we're, we're sitting and watching or, or while we're hunting too, I guess. So, you know, if, if it's a slow day and we're not seeing birds coming right over us and we're not killing them, we're watching what's going on. Um, but our evenings we might we might uh, grab a beverage and stop somewhere and watch from a vantage point and see where where those birds are going so we kind of know where to go the next morning and those those pockets will sometimes hold birds but really there's almost no difference and, and i like to hunt those small pockets simply due to the proximity that you're going to have those ducks and you're not going to get big watered meaning they're yeah. not going to they're not going to land at 75 yards out they're going to land at 30 yards out for the farthest shot if they if they were to land straight up against the cattails on the other side mm -hmm. so i love hunting those small pockets um but you know if you don't have ducks in there you're essentially just trafficking ducks and then that's when you need the biggest spread you want the most visibility and it's sometimes hard, especially when you get those tall phragmites. You know, if the duck is going a half mile north of you, maybe, or even a third of a mile, just in calling range, but you've got a huge bank of some tall cover on their side of you, they don't see you at all, so you're never going to get those gimmies that just come in and come over you. Uh, so there's a lot of things that go into that, but, I mean, if you were to kick out, two to three to four hundred ducks out of one of those spots i would say absolutely you're on the right path if you were to have been hunting a quarter, a quarter mile away from that area and you watched a non-stop string of ducks go over that that spot um you know then i would say for sure you're on the right path and you just need to get underneath them because in that specific area as i found in most places i mean we kind of did the same thing in Missouri this year on some public ground that we'd never been to. And we were just trying to get underneath birds and you get, get them on, on top of you and you break them down with the duck call and decoys. And whether it's big water or small water, just getting them underneath you or over top of you, I mean, is getting underneath them is, is the biggest, most important thing. So when you have the right idea, I mean, for one, I mean, I love, I love those small places and I've shot a lot of ducks out of them, but to be honest, in that spot, I've probably shot more ducks off of some of those bigger open spots mm -hmm. there. And and what and you just take with it, you know, when you get when you get big watered, 
and you got a, a flock of 20 mallards land at 100 yards, you know, you just that's how it is, but you just, you're going to have more opportunities maybe than you would in the small water if they weren't already using it previously to you being there. Yeah, it sounds like we were pretty much on the right track with a, the first morning we went in and just scouted, and, and there wasn't yeah. much movement, so we ended up just setting up somewhere. And then that day we saw there was a few mallards kept going down a little hole. Day two, we set up in that little – I mean, when I say it was slow, I mean, <laughs> you could go a while and not see anything. It was really slow. But we found a little tiny pocket where at least some mallards seemed to be going down. And we yep. felt really fortunate to shoot three the second day. I mean, that's how slow what it was. What year was this? Do you remember? Um, 2015. I'm trying to think of what year. Mid November, was like uh, right around November 12th of 2015. I need to like look through my uh, photos and see what year that was. But yeah, mid November can be tough. I mean, it's a it it's that area, and, and so many of these spots are so dependent on migration and there's enough pressure there that you know if you're there five days after some new ducks get in you know, you're gonna you might have some struggles because it's there's a lot of a lot of people chasing them and those birds and they're not going to sit around wait for other people to shoot at them so yeah you, you can go from feast to famine and in a matter of a day really so well it's a beautiful area we enjoy just being there just exploring and being there was worth every second. So as I'm looking, I'm looking at uh, photos for my 2015 season on my phone camera roll right now. And I'm seeing we were hunting the northern part of the state right at, during that whole stretch. when you would have been I think there. that was a pretty warm year in general. Yeah, so we were up north of there quite a ways. And it wasn't, oh geez, yeah, it wasn't almost until December when we hit that area. So, you know, if that tells you, I mean, it was probably tough. You probably there was probably a quick blast of mm -hmm. birds that moved through there. And it's and it's you know a lot of these places, you know, that's we see that calendar migration really hard kick in. Like I mean, you can go some of these spots and I've shot them in oh mid November, early November. You know, then you're wearing a t-shirt. If you get a teeny tiny north wind, even on a 50 degree day, you can still see some migration come in. But you, know, you got to get lucky if you're doing it after they got beat up. You know, it's it's a it's a challenge at best. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, you know, it's one of those deals that it's fun to learn. I mean, like we hunted. Like I, I love that kind of stuff. Like we went to Oklahoma to hunt a couple of years ago out of the boat, just based on calling a biologist and he said yeah there's a bunch of ducks here so we jumped in the truck and drove down there and a place we'd never been and you know the first day was super struggle and the next day was really good and the next day was good and, and the last day was super tough and but you know you just kind of learn and you as, as you put your time in all that kind of stuff it, it kicks in and the place you're talking about though is different it's a special place because it's so big there's so yes. many different things you can do that, that I mean, you can I get lost back in there. <laughs> yeah, you can. I love talking about it. Like my GPS, talking about being lost in my GPS for down there is just a, an absolute zoo of lines crossed and waypoints and places to avoid and places to get to. And 
I love that kind of stuff. I mean, there's nothing better than a duck marsh where you, where you can just drive all over. So yeah, I made a bunch of uh, I printed off a bunch of satellite images before we went and laminate them and bound it into a little <laughs> into a little book from every different area, you know. Then so the whole time I had it up like, okay, I think if we go down this channel, <laughs> you know, but it helped. It helped a ton. Oh, for sure. And it'll probably be way different here this next year after all the flooding on the Missouri the last year and a half. Um, I mean, I, I felt like I knew that place like the back of my hand. I could drive at 4.30 in the morning on a foggy day where I couldn't see 30 yards in front of me, but I could follow my GPS or just knowing where I was to get to my spots on, in the pitch black. But now this last year, everything changed so much just due to sand buildup in different spots that there was areas I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to get to that, you know, it's just one of those deals. So it'll be all different again the next time you're there. I look forward to it for sure. We'll have so, to hunt it next uh, time I come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to get up here this so, year. So another topic uh, we're uh, super interested to hear from you about is um, your photography. And for those of you that don't know, um, he has an awesome Instagram filled with wildlife photography, so make sure you head over there. But <clears throat> can you go ahead and uh, let us know how you kind of got in to the photography game? Uh, you know, for me, like my interest in photography was, it, it basically paralleled my, my duck hunting interest. Um, I don't know the exact age. I've been asked this a bunch and on a couple different podcasts and on my own, I've talked about it. And I was, I was probably like 12 or 13 years old when, um, Canon came out with the, uh, it was called the AE-1, which was the first camera, I think, that could do auto exposure. And my dad bought one for me, basically, with a little, like, 35 to 70 millimeter, or 35 to 50 millimeter, it was, it was small, uh, lens. And I had this camera, it was a film camera, and this was, you know, like, probably, like, 1990 something like that i'm 42 years old you know so i was i was probably 12 13 14 so i mean i was young and i was i was hoping to get these duck photos i had seen a few in some magazines and you know you just kind of catch a glimpse of what was possible so i thought well man i can do this well of course it was not that easy and a, a friend of ours in the town i'm from owned a photography studio and he let me borrow maybe like a 200 millimeter lens and it was helpful but even then I, the photos I was getting you know back then I would have to send the photos in to be um, you have to send them in to be uh, developed and you get them back a week later and then you were just depressed at what you saw versus what you thought you were going <laughs> to see you know like the duck took up about 2% of the of the frame on any photo back and so I, it never it never worked as it wanted and that's how I learned how to kind of use a camera have an idea what was going on and then years went by I learned a little bit more about it through some high, a high school class taking some different photos learning the basics um, and then I think man I must have been in my probably 24 25 years old 
And Canon came out with the first like consumer available digital camera, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna get this. I I can get these photos. So I did. Everybody does. I bought the cheap, cheapest camera, the cheapest zoom lens that you could get, and I went to the city park, and I started taking photos and photos. And of course, they didn't look anything like what I saw in the magazines or on the internet back then. But I kept shooting, and I I kind of. I was into it, but I, I didn't put the effort in that was required to get photos that were, what I would say, awesome. So I kind of fell out of it for a few years. And then when I moved out here, I thought, you know what? I live in what is the one of the best places to do this. I need to get, my, get off my ass, get out of my truck, get into the marsh when there's ducks around, which is in the spring and start taking photos and learn how to use a camera for real. So I bought a different camera, uh, bought a little bigger zoom lens, and went through the trial and error of, of uh, setting cameras up and doing all, the, doing all the manual exposure and settings, reading as much as I could online, which wasn't real in-depth back then, but there was a little bit. And, and I still remember to this day the very first time it was a redhead came in and I remember the first time I got a photo and I thought to myself this is just like what David Stimmick takes and it was a redhead kind of all banked all you know feet flaring feet flailed out wings spread looking right at the camera pretty close and it was in focus and I thought oh my god I you know I can do this and from that moment, I just kind of just kept doing it and, and playing around and practicing. And and for me, photography started a thousand percent just as a way to extend my time around ducks. Like, I don't, I try to, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to kind of break out of my, uh, my single, uh, single known idea of, of being just a uh, duck photographer into doing, you know, some hunting lifestyle photos and that kind of stuff too which have improved lately but you know i think mostly known as a duck photographer but that other stuff had i had zero interest in that other other than taking photos of ducks for so many years and, and that's exactly how it started and that was really all i wanted to do because i just i loved being around ducks i loved those images of them and i and that was and still what drives me. And it's, if I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't have a camera. Maybe I'd keep one around, but I mean that's that's the main thing that that, that pushed pushed me pushed me to it. So long-winded, but that's the version. No, that's a that's an awesome answer. That really helps kind of give perspective on that. And um, you know, it's a definitely uh, you got some quality photos and and. Uh, you know, you had one you posted just today and pin tails fl flaring up. So I know exactly kind of what you're saying when you're out there extending your duck season and and uh, just being out there with them. So what kind of tip would you give somebody? Like what is kind of like the minimum zoom lens you got to have to take those type of photos? Oh, man. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because I, that's probably one of the biggest the question I get most often asked on my Instagram page and a little, it depends a little bit on your camera if you have a crop a crop sensor camera probably a 300 millimeter if you have a crop 
sensor and if you have a full frame camera you know maybe a 300 maybe probably a 400 I, mean, I use a 400 um, without a doubt a 600 would be amazing I don't I don't have that I haven't I haven't dropped that money yet I'm looking to do that maybe on a Sony lens this year um, but the the distance that you have to like the, the relative closeness that you have to have these ducks to get these photos like I cannot stress enough how important that is I mean even if a guy has a $20,000 setup on a camera if you're taking a photo of a pintail single pintail landing at 75 yards with that setup it's not probably going to be very impressive you need to have them at 30 maybe 40 but under 30 yards with most with most average people setups I mean if I if I have a single duck coming in at over 30 yards I'll take the photo but most likely it's probably going to get deleted unless it's something just spectacular just because it's just going to be a, a teeny little duck on a, a big picture and you just when you start to zoom in on it and crop it you just you lose a lot of that quality so unless mm -hmm. it's a flock a photo of a flock of ducks um you know you got to have them really in your face it's one of those things that you know kind of relates back to what we were talking about before um knowing and, and not underestimating the level of importance of hiding and concealment is huge for that because you know with duck hunting you know if a duck is above the horizon you're not you don't think about that when you shoot it if it's 15 yards above the water it's going to get shot regardless but if you're taking a photo of a duck 15 yards above the horizon or above the water you're just having a blue background photo of duck and well sometimes that's cool it's it's nothing that's going to really be super usable in terms of print or publishing or any of that kind of stuff you need to get them down super low and that little bit of a difference that last 10 yards is a gigantic difference in terms of the quality of your photos you know gigantic difference in how difficult it is to get them down that low uh, based on how you can hide so you know it all kind of comes full circle the, the two work together i mean you're probably not going to see many guys that are doing a good job of photographing ducks that aren't duck hunters and most good duck hunters probably if they learned the the uh photography side you know which really truly isn't that difficult uh, they'd probably be great wildlife photographers or duck waterfall photographers that's the hard part so when you when you photograph when you when you photograph them in the spring, are you going? Is it just like a duck hunt? You take your decoys, you call, you call them in, all all the whole nine yards. Um, you know, I I don't call. Um, it's they're not in that time of year. They're not really responsive to calls. Anybody who's hunted like you know some of the southern states where they're open in the season late until late late January you'll see that those ducks just become less and rest, less responsive to calls and decoys. Um, and when you start hitting, when we have open water up here, which is typically give or take the first of March, those birds are 100% in mating and courtship mode. So, you know, you could hit a single, like, you know, end of November, you hit a single Drake Mallard with a lonesome hen call, and that sucker's probably going to snap his neck to get back to you. Well, this time of year, they're just worried. And it sounds like they should because that's 
you know, a single hand. But they're not worried about coming to that. They want to see a hand mallard, and they'll go land with that thing. But I do set out some decoys. Um, a lot of times it's just to have, you know, some stub substance in the foreground and some decoys in the foreground because then it looks cool. Um, but, like, divers respond amazing to decoys in the spring. Mallards, pintails, and them are pretty ambivalent in terms of how they react to decoys and calls. You know, this past season, the calling thing, I, I had a little bit more trust. I, I brought a call with a few days this year, which I ne have not done for years. We, turn, we turned a couple here and there. Um, but for the most part, you, you need to be in the right spot. You need to be hidden, and you need to just sit there and wait in a spot where ducks don't want to be for the most part. It's, it's, it's similar but different than hunting, I would say. That, I'm on your website right now, which uh, those of you who are listening, if you want to um, take a look at Phil's photos, it's philconkey.com. And, and this picture I've actually seen on Instagram. I think some other people have been posting it around. It's the one where the eagle has the mallard by the head oh, over yeah. the ice. Can you yep. give a background to the story of what all took place on that photo? Yeah. It's funny you picked that one because I uh, I kind of pride myself on not taking photos in parks. <laughs> but that is the one photo that I have uh, that was taken in a park or a, like a place where ducks are semi-tame, I guess you would say. Um, it was in late January or February, and I just bought a snowmobile that year, and I went to visit a duck hunt friend of mine that lived in Shakopee, Minnesota, and anybody who lives in that area that's listening will probably know the name of the spot. I can't think of the restaurant, but there's a restaurant that has a big, kind of like warm water, open water pond right behind it, and, and there's thousands of ducks that sit on this thing. And he had to go pick up his kids from our during after our snowmobile trip from school, and so I said, oh, I'm going to grab my camera and just go sit down there for a bit. So I went down to this the spot and kind of buried myself in a snowbank and there had been a uh, a single drake greenhead that it was that was limping around it, it could walk it wasn't doing great but it could walk a little bit and it was hopping around on the ice occasionally it would swim and hop around the ice it was sitting on the ice sleeping and then all of a sudden from across the uh the wave i saw this eagle fly in and i said well i better just put my camera on it just in case and so I started tracking it with the camera not really expecting much not taking any photos but I had it in focus and I'm watching it and not really thinking about it all of a sudden I noticed that it was flying towards this duck and this eagle as I'm watching all of a sudden it did a like a, a really hard 90 degree turn and I'm like oh hit the shutter button so I started clicking away and it was dark I mean it was you know in Minnesota that time of year it gets dark at 4 30 at night and it was kind of a cloudy day and it was it was probably like 4 20 so it was dark and I'm like well we'll see how these turn out and that eagle did a 90 flew a little bit and I could see it turn its head and drop its feet and it did another hard 90 and it just dove and the next thing I know I'm watching it grab this duck 
through my camera lens and all I'm thinking is, please, for the love of God, be in focus. Please be in focus. <laughs> because I've never, I mean, as much time as I've spent out in the outer door, I've never, ever seen anything like that. And then for me to actually have a camera with, I'm like, God, just please work. I grabbed it by the head, picked it up, flew off into the trees, and, and I didn't catch it eating it, and it landed. But, uh, yeah, as I watched it, it was super cool. I mean, it's one of those things that I I never see, and I, I expect to see a lot more, but it just never happens. So it was cool to see. Um, and it's, gotten yeah, a ton of, it's gotten a ton of, you know, every time I post, I've posted a few times over the last, like, three or four years, and I think, like, I, Joe Rogan reposted it one time back before he was super gigantic on Instagram, which was cool, even before I knew who he was. Um, yeah, that's, like, probably, like, my most famous photo, but. Yeah, I didn't. I had seen it, but I didn't realize it was yours until I was on the website. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's neat. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's floating around there in several places. You know, it's not like it's not my sharpest photo because, you know, I had the shutter speed really low, and I had in the ISO was ISO was pretty high, so it's a little grainy. But that's one of those deals where like a friend of mine, Doug Stenke, always says, you know, you don't worry about the focus, you don't worry about the quality, you just get the damn shot. So. Yeah. In that in that scenario, it worked. Scenario, it worked. So, well, one of the thing about it's so cool is it's got with one of its um, feet, it's got the mallard um, head, and it's dragging it. And then the other foot, you can see the talons, which are so long, and it kind of it's just seen the sharp talons on one foot, and then with the mallard and with the head and the other, it's just it's cool. <laughs> it's a great picture. Yeah, it's it's cool to see like. I mean, that's what I think, like, back when Rogan posted it, like, he put something about how savage wildlife is. And you see, I mean, what these birds are. I mean, they're they're one hell of a killing machine, basically what they are when they're not a scavenger. I mean, what what they can take down. He picked it up and, and flew off of it like it was, you know, me picking up a can of pop. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, I think right now is probably a good point to – jump to the lightning round and the lightning round is quick questions quick answers and helps us get a better feeling about you and how you duck hunt so let's jump right into it all right so what's your uh what shotgun do you shoot i have about a 2004 super black eagle one with no bluing left on it at this point it's <laughs> exactly like my dad's exactly yeah, <laughs> same yeah. thing tell you what if you gave me another one i would take it but i wouldn't shoot it until this one breaks <clears throat> it's got awesome. a uh it's got a what's what's that uh high-end uh the, the stainless steel spring in the back end i got one of those and it's reliable and i i trust it with my life probably at that point so i i would have a hard time giving it up Awesome. So this probably goes with uh, out asking, but what is your dream gun? Uh, you know, I don't. It's funny. As much as I like to hunt, I'm not really a gun guy. So I would. I don't even. I literally don't even desire another gun. I have other guns. I have turkey guns. I've got a couple other M1s that I've bought here and there. But I, I, I'm totally happy with the one with the one that I got right now. Awesome. Uh, ducks or geese? Oh, that's a no-brainer. Ducks. <laughs> not, spinner not, or not no spinner? Not even a question. 
What was the last one? Yeah, I hear you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Geese are Spinner fun. or no spinner? Oh. <laughs> uh, anybody who's followed me closely or they're hunting with me, um, zero, zero percent chance of a spinner. I would definitely say no spinner. Yeah, I think it's it's funny. You and I, uh, the first time we talked, we had about a 45-minute conversation, and our hunting styles are like match up perfectly and that's the one area i'm not a huge spinner guy but if i I, if i don't have one out i just kind of feel naked that was the one thing that uh we parted on a little bit you know it's weird because i remember the first time that i went so i mean when i started hunting there was no spinners and then all of a sudden there were spinners and they were super effective but then what what just got in our heads is and all of a sudden this idea that you can't kill a duck without a spinner Whereas, how many millions of ducks were killed without spinners before that? <laughs> and so, you know, a buddy of mine, one of my, Levi, my best, probably one of my best duck hunting buddies right now, uh, we started hunting together five or six years ago, and he didn't use one. And when we started hunting together, I just said, oh, you know what, let's just not use it. And we killed ducks every bit as good as we did with a spinner. And we and when they finish, they finish nicer and they finish a little bit. We always say the word softer because they just come in not so jittery. And there was I mean, there's been one time when me and him hunted together, where we feel like we got out outdone by some guys with spinners, but that's over five years and probably hundreds of hunts. But you know it depends. But the no spinner thing, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to become more aggressive on a duck call and louder you're gonna have to probably put out a little bit bigger spread sometimes and you're gonna need to be underneath the flight path a little bit more so you know it's just different i mean i i don't care if somebody uses them i just i don't like to it just makes my life easier and i feel a little bit better about my own duck hunting skills rather than relying on a battery operated device to do it so more power to those who do it and if you don't want to then even cooler i wish i could get to that point uh i started using them because on public land everyone i just those first years i couldn't shoot anything i was sitting in situations like i should be shooting ducks and everyone around me was just sucking them in with spinners so finally i was like one of the last guys to get one uh maybe maybe i can get to maybe i can get to that point at some at some point in time (laughs) you know it depends it depends too on the spot i mean but, you know, gosh dang, like, I mean, Elliot, you've been to that spot where I've been, and you saw the traffic there. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people around, and, and, I, and I can tell you, and where we were hunting in in uh, Missouri this past year, I mean, we had people literally all around us, and we were the first ones to kill out several times before anybody else shot a duck. And we were not on the X. We just had ducks going over us like everybody else. So, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's a weird deal. I, I would, I'm, so, I'm so glad to not use them. I mean, I've, I've given a couple of mine away to a buddy of mine who field hunts. And if you field hunt, you definitely need to use them. I mean, there's no way around it. But on the water, on the water, it's, I don't know. I don't want to talk too bad about them. I just, I don't love them. Well, they're a pain. There's no <laughs> doubt they're a pain. What's that? 
they're a pain oh, yeah, to use. Pain. There's just the no, noisy, no doubt about that. The batteries, they tip over. You got to return them this way and that way, and you got to move them. And you know, that's one <laughs> thing that we just don't deal with anymore. Is like that's I love. You don't hear that tick 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 tick, and you yeah. don't hear the. We never had the question, oh, maybe we should move the mojos this way. Maybe we should put another mojo up. Maybe we should take another mojo up. Oh, it's cloudy. Maybe we shouldn't put the mojo up. I mean, none of that bullshit. It's <laughs> yeah. just, we just go out and you just hopefully shoot ducks. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. So. My thought is if you don't have six of them, then it's not worth using them at all. <laughs> that, no, that's kind of the opinion. And, and that's kind of one of the things that really got me really pissed off about him is that <laughs> is that that was always the answer to if you weren't shooting ducks is oh we need more mojos we need, we need another mojo you know we don't have enough mojos and it's always the answer to not shoot. but i can't tell you guys how many times we've had ducks just come and land on their own in our decoys with no calling and we didn't we're not even looking and all of a sudden here you've got the drake mallard hovering over your decoys at 20 yards it just came in just simply because you have some decoys sitting up there, no mojo spinning, and not even any calling. Which I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that I don't pride myself on loving to duck call ducks. I mean, I love it. It's my favorite absolute thing about duck hunting. But there's a lot of times where we have ducks just come on in. You know, we're just sitting there eating bacon or fussing <laughs> around with who who knows what we're doing. We're not paying attention for a few minutes, and next thing you know, you look out in the decoy spread and you pop up and oh, there's two mallards swimming in the decoys you know it just happens so, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's my so, super uh, long maybe, answer to a lightning round question <laughs> uh, no, we, this happens our this lightning happens. round yeah <laughs> lightning round goes longer than lightning every time so it's, <laughs> okay. it's, 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 it's what happens but so like kind of to add on to that make extended, it even a little longer an extended kansas uh summer lightning storm round there you go yeah yeah so you guys are both on on uh, instagram a lot but to add on to that um, I've seen this sponsored post going around lately, and it's for a 12 duck remote remote duck slotted bag for like 12 mojos. <laughs> yeah, oh thousand God. bucks, thousand bucks. Yeah, it's like the epitome of what I would hate. Yeah, <laughs> like, I left some comment too. on that ad, some salty comment. I can't remember what my <laughs> remark was, but I left some comment. I wish I hadn't left after I did. <laughs> I haven't seen my it. thought was you know, I haven't seen it probably due to the fact that I, I've tagged a bunch of my photos like no spinners or, no <laughs> or something. They probably like stay away from this guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. only going to be vitriol coming from him. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question. What size shot do you use for uh, your duck loads? For ducks? Yep, for ducks. Okay, you kind of cut out there. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've run between two and four shot over the last few years. And for the way I like to hunt ducks, um, almost anything will work. Um, I tend to shoot some of the cheapest shot available and I like I like denser patterns so I think if I were to take my take my pick I would take the ounce and a quarter two shot steel if I had to buy it um, you know there's some of that other shot out now that's amazing and that stuff makes a hell of a difference I've shot it on turkeys uh, but just my standard duck loads are ounce and a quarter twos to fours I like a little bit denser pattern rather than the extra speed. 
Awesome. And do you go face paint or no face paint or face mask? Neither. Uh, neither. I, uh, I don't think face paint really matters. I mean, there's probably circumstances where maybe it could. Um, when we're hunting on our boat, we're, we're kind of tucked back into that shadows and I make sure that everybody knows that you need to kind of kick off to the side a little bit and just let an eye poke out. But we're back in that dark part of the blind. Um, you know, if we're hunting something like flooded corn, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to wear face paint. Um, but it, I also feel like in those situations, it's probably it's probably beyond that. They're seeing the big blob that is a dark person sitting back in the corn stalks or, you know, whatever. Uh, but I'm neither. I'm, I'm ball cap down, neck gator up. I leave my nose exposed and my eyes exposed, just enough to blow a duck off. And do you prefer a layout boat or a, a boat blind? Boat blind, for sure. You're not making bacon in a layout boat, that's for sure. No, you're not comfortable. <laughs> you're not sitting up. Your feet aren't kicked out. It's kind of, and, you know, I feel somewhat funny, like like the way I, I talk about how I like to hunt, I, I kind of talk like I'm all tough and that, but I'm not. I don't. I, I try not to pretend to be. <laughs> I like I like to do things where like my duck killing revolves around the skill more so than you know just being in the necessarily being in the right spot or a battery powered deal. But man, after you put some time into a blind and hiding it, and you're comfortable, and you can still shoot ducks the same way as you would if you're sitting just you in a spot it's a no-brainer to be in a nice boat blind if it works it's not everywhere but depends on the spot but then yeah i i'm all about sitting back and having a good time and staying warm and not having to wear a parka and earmuffs and have the heaters blaring in your face so awesome and, and talking about cooking bacon in a uh, boat blind uh elliot's definitely got some stories about burning waiters trying to cook things in his boat blind <laughs> it's yeah. layout blind i struggle yeah i uh, i, I like burning my waiters <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty non-forgiving experience right there <laughs> the worst time was i had a pair of neoprene waiters from rogers and i ran through like three pair of those in a year and they kept giving me new ones because i mean this it was the seams that were coming apart and so they kept returning them because they were just faulty. So the third pair I got, um, we were hunting on the river, and it was really, really cold. So we made a fire, and my knee, of course, you know, neoprene waders get all inflexible and frozen. They're just awful. And I wasn't, this is was the first um, hunt I wore these on. I wasn't paying attention and just burnt a huge hole in the leg. Hunt number one. Like, well, I don't think I'm returning these. I don't think they're going to take these back. <laughs> yeah. What happened here? How was it a manufacturing defect? Uh, <laughs> the seams. The bacon fell on my leg. And... <laughs> but I used Gorilla Glue, and I just, I mean, this was a huge burn mark. It was probably four inches by four inches. Uh, it was a hole. and But it, it didn't go through the bottom layer. I don't know what that oh, layer yeah. was. But so I took Gorilla Glue and just caked Gorilla Glue all over it. And I actually got them through almost the whole next season until they started leaking. <laughs> You know, you can patch neoprenes pretty well. I mean, that Gorilla Glue or uh, Aqua Seal does a ton. I can't hardly get myself to wear neoprenes anymore, but it's a uh, 
they're they're fairly patchable with that aqua steel. That stuff is amazing. I mean, you can like dang near hang yourself, like grab like your own body weight can hold up on aqua steel. So. Yeah, my problem is when it's the seams, I struggle to find oh, where no it is. If it's a hole, yeah, I can no I can do. But when, once my seams start leaking, man, I I, I just I've never done like the some people use like baby powder and like a hose. Um, I've never done that <laughs> trick, but I don't think you can ever fix it once it's a seam. Yeah, me neither. You can't you can't get that stuff down into the thread. You just, you, just, you can't penetrate it enough to make it happen. Mm -hmm. All right, so we definitely want to hear some about um, what you got going on with Bandit Avery and. And uh, Greenhead Gear. So you want to go on and, and tell us a little bit about what you got going on over there? Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting how I ended up at, at my uh, job as it is. Back in the day when I graduated college in 99, I wanted to work for Avery Outdoors. I mean, they made the best blind bags and the gun cases and they had everything going and they were one of the few the few like manufacturers of waterfall products back then and so i was i went and instead ended up at uh a few different places and then cabela's and avery just I mean, there was not a lot of jobs so i wasn't about to move to memphis back then and um so years went by and years went by and i ended up doing some photo work with uh for banded as a a guy from my hometown also works for banded we got hooked up at a uh at a kind of a waterfall slash photography event in louisiana at honey break a few years ago and we kind of reconnected then and you know we weren't like super tight friends by any means back then but we knew of each other and then that led to us doing a little more work together and then when Cabela's really merged with Bass Pro, I had the opportunity to leave on great terms, which provided me some free time to kind of hang around. And then when uh, that came up with, with uh, Banded, it switched into what became a full-time full gig. And it's been, it's been very good. And I've kind of loving the opportunities I've had to actually make an impact in you know what is a when you think about a, a waterfall company you think it's one of the bigger waterfall companies but in the big scheme of the world it's a small company and so I've had a chance to do some things that you know actually make an impact and, and now going on my first full hunting season um, with them it'll feel like I'm really had a, a better chance to that so what what, what I'd like what I'm doing is working with our content creators, um, different photographers, different videographers, um, retailers, kind of to, to bring bring things that we can use as a company and other retailers can use to sell our product. And it's just been a fun, kind of a fun outlet. Um, you know, so of course I can use my own photos in this. <clears throat> and so of course my own photos can be you know, used as a, a hunting situation as well. So it's it's a cool deal. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those companies combined with Avery Greenhead that I've wanted to work for forever. 
Bandit's got a lot of the innovation going on with new products and that type of stuff. And really between, as, as a guy who likes a duck hunt, I can't almost think of anything better because there's almost nothing associated with duck hunting that we don't make besides boats, guns, and ammo. And even then, working with them, you know, we still have some connections to those places. So I can still work with those folks on different things. And it's just been a, a really fun outlet and kind of a place where you, you have some freedom to to do your own thing and make some decisions and all that. And outside of outside of the big-time corporate world that was Cabela's. So everything about it that I really like so far. I never real I didn't realize I guess that Bandit Avery and Greenade Gear were kind of all under the same umbrella. How long has did they merge at some point or what what is exactly the relationship is it just a single ownership but they retain their um their own names? Uh, you know, I don't know the exact amount of years ago that Avery and Greenhead Gear were per- cuz Avery and Greenhead Gear were one under the ownership of Tom Matthews, and that was, you know, years ago. And that started, there started to be some troubles there, and and then um, was a, was purchased by Bandit, and I'm just going to say five years ago, I, and it may be more or less, I don't know the exact date. But yeah, they're all under one umbrella now. So with, you know, the Bandit side, you've got the clothing and gear in terms of blind bags and accessories and Avery you've got between Avery and Greenhead gear then you have the decoys and you've got some of the old um, the older school type stuff you know which is you know maybe more near and dear to my heart things that I've had I mean I still have Avery an Avery blind bag from probably 1997 that I still use as my kind of carry on when I'm going on a duck hunt somewhere, I'll put all my miscellaneous junk in there. Um, so, you know, there's the two, they're definitely, we're all one company, all one umbrella. Um, there's a little bit of a difference in terms of maybe what people focus on in terms of their work, but we're all one and kind of with the same goal. So it's kind of neat to, to be involved with like every single aspect of duck hunting and have something involved to be able to outfit a person who wants to go duck hunting we take care of all of it. If you if you were to to be a beginner duck hunter and you said I need this 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 and this, like we could get you every one of those things as long as it wasn't a gun or ammo. So I dig that. It's certainly extremely impressive equipment, and I know when we talked about uh, the partnership between um, Bandit and Freelance Duck Hunting, and then also um, the Duck Gun Podcast, we're certainly extremely excited to begin the partnership and um, soon we'll be running um, role advertisements and we're, we're just thrilled and honored to be partnering with you guys. Cause it's just such established um, name in the industry and just, you know, top end gear for sure. Well, you know, and vice versa, cause you know, like, I mean, guys like you are the ones that we, who are, who we are, like we're hunters, we're, we're guys that are out, hunting on our own we're chasing down spots we're chasing public land ducks we're doing all that kind of stuff i mean there's so it, the, the partnership worked out great on that aspect and and yeah i mean and i'm as excited to be with them as you are myself so 
Yeah, it's funny. I, when we talked the first time, I got I got off the phone. The conversation I was talking about, I was like, "Okay, that guy pretty much is the exact same type of waterfowl hunter that I am." I was like, "We hit it off because we see eye to eye," and it's just it's just wonderful to have partnerships with people. It's like, okay, this is this is one of you know waterfowling. You have different types of doing things, and you know, uh, but to be partnered with someone that you see eye to eye with, and it's like, okay, he's he's one of us in in a sense. You know, if that you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, as much as you can be involved with a company or have a big name in the industry, like what what you do and what you project is, you know, what it all comes down to. And I think kind of what we're, we're trying to project between myself and you guys is that, you know, we're just your average hunter. I mean, you yeah. know, you... You know, maybe you, you, you have a chance to do this or do that, but for the most part, you know, we're not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not out duck hunting to go to gather a bunch of photos. Mm -hmm. to take. I'm out to duck hunt. My photos come second. I'm not out to go get a bunch of pile picks so I can blab on about how great I am of a duck hunter and none of that baloney. And you guys are the same. Like, I, that's not, it's not what I see in in what you guys are doing so that was one of the main reasons that i reached out to you guys because i i dig that kind of stuff there's a certain number of waterfowlers it's not every waterfowler that it just pumps through your veins it's like it's it's a part of you you know it's it's not just a hobby it's like it's almost like breathing it's like a, an in-depth desire to, it's like uh, um, primitive almost just like i have to go and do this you know Oh, yeah. That's a special thing to have that passion. There's not a lot of guys. It's probably uh, especially annoying to the people around you when that's all you, <laughs> you talk about in the yeah. off season, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because there's a lot of guys that are that are duck hunters that maybe that you might even hunt with that don't quite have that same level of passion. And then there's guys that you hunt with that like you can see it in them. I mean, the the two guys I hunt with the most, so my buddy Mark and Levi, and I've got and and Bill, and there's a few other guys I hunt with that are the same way. But the ones I hunt with the most, like you see that in them, that like they just that's their drive. Like yes, they like to do this and they like to do this also in the off season. But like those three to four months are the time period that you absolutely just cannot wait for. I mean, just myself, like, I was fishing the other day, and, man, I was having an awesome day fishing, but all I could really focus on as I was casting shorelines was, I think I'd get my boat in there. I think if we pushed the boat, if, I think if we pushed the boat in there and had this, this kind of a wind, I think it would work. I mean, yeah. And it's not even a joke. I mean, it, it's 100% true. Like, I mean, I, I could be catching 20-inch walleyes, and yet I'm still probably more focused on checking the points and checking how well, how deep is it off this point can i get my yeah. decoys out there yeah I mean, all that kind of stuff i mean it's you know that yeah. there's there's a group of guys and it's funny that we kind of come to this and i have a post that i was writing earlier today for my instagram tomorrow that kind of talks about that like the exact same thing like you know you got a group of buddies that you guys just all get it like you don't even have to talk about it you just know that you all have the same thoughts and feelings about duck hunting amongst yourselves without making a big scene about it 
and that's just what you do and that's kind of the bond amongst yourselves and those those are the kind of guys that man i just like you meet them somewhere and you just know it immediately you can sense it in them like they don't have to like be wearing a certain hat they don't have to be you know have photos up about how many kills they got or any of that kind of baloney you just know those guys once you start talking to them and i, I love that kind of stuff yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I was telling, I don't remember who I was saying this to, but it's like when I talk to someone in the boat ramp, I can tell you within 30 seconds whether I'd want to hunt with the guy or not. You just know. Oh, no question. No question. Well, Jordan, I think, oh, there was one other question I did want to know in the lightning round is what uh, what kind of choke do you use? Um, I really only have one choice on my duck gun because I... Uh, I um, loctited in a pattern master on my gun like a few years ago after losing a couple of them. So I just I just have a pattern master, an old pattern master. At this point, is I don't really have a choice in terms of what I'm going to use. So I like I I personally like as tight as I can get. Um, I have uh, I, I don't know. I shoot enough, and I've I've shot enough ducks over the years that I feel like I'm a pretty good shot and I I want as tight of a pattern as I can get so that if the miss if a miss happens it's on me so yeah good shooters can do that us uh, poor shooters need a little more circle <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it just depends it just it all depends it's just a little bit of confidence maybe is all it is sometimes <laughs> sure yeah that's <laughs> uh, awesome. funny well, I think this is probably a, a good place to go ahead and wrap her, wrap her up. Um, again, we really appreciate you coming on and um, awesome content, awesome information. Um, and we'll definitely uh, plan to have you on again. Um, a lot of these topics could have been podcasts of, of, the mo- of their own. So, hey, yeah, um, But it. before we let you go, um, go ahead and let people know where they can find you across social media. Uh, my f- main main outlet that i'm on is instagram and that's just phil conkey photos um last name is spelled k-a-h-n-k-e um i like to blab on there a bunch and put some photos up but other than that i'm on facebook a little bit and then i have my own website just philconkey.com so i occasionally update that but not nearly enough as i should so yeah, Instagram is where, and I have a podcast if you want to check it out. Um, Shooting Time podcast. Hopefully, here going to get. I think we have nine episodes out. We're going to get some more out coming up soon once, once we kind of get our act together and go from there. So, good deal. I appreciate it, guys. Awesome. All right, everybody. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Conky from. Bandit Avery, Greenhead Gear, and Photography. And we'll see you guys next time. See ya.